0: Five, four, three.
1: Mm. There's merely a two-word review, it just a
0: shit sandwich. I just don't like music, right?
1: Welcome back, fellow music lovers. You are now tuning into yet another exciting adventure with us here on Discologist. I am your host, Kevin, coming to you live-ish from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and uh, we got a really great episode talking about a really great album today. On the sort of the cusp of, of winter giving way to spring, Jessica Pratt, her new album "Quiet Signs," uh, came out earlier in this year, and it sort of got caught in the hustle of us relocating uh, to this fine city to the land of pleasant living, but uh like her last album On Your Own Love Again in 2015 uh it is one of the best albums of this year in my opinion uh but her you know this is a singer-songwriter who is pulling from like english folk pulling from she's lumped in with freak folk I'm talking about people like Devendra ba- Banhart Bowerbirds if you don't know those guys they're great uh Riley Walker Joanna Newsom our friend Phil Cook's band uh Megaphone no longer no longer in existence but she she uh takes the the folk idiom and translates it into the modern uh sphere i guess and it just feels right and it feels like there's nothing else like this out there uh so uh it is quiet it's reserved uh yet powerful and thus perfect for those cold dark winter months So that's what we're going to be doing uh, on this episode. Joining us to talk about this is uh, our good friend Michael Zwerne, lives around the corner from the old HQ in Washington D.C. And this was apparently his first exposure to to Jessica Pratt's music. Uh, We're going to kick things off here with the first single. This is fairly well off of Jessica Pratt's Quiet Signs.
0: to all.
1: Uh, fairly well from jessica pratt's new album quiet signs uh, joining me now to uh to get into this uh spoiler for me remarkable album uh mr michael is born in washington dc michael how, you, how are you doing i'm good good morning kevin yeah uh so how is how is miss pratt making you feel
2: with her feels oh it's it's a record full of feels it's you get an emotional vibe out of this record because it's so hard to make out the actual lyrics that you're just sort of zoning with it. So it's sort of limpid and murmuring and burbling and uh, kind of drifts away with you musically. So it's a very emotional record with a lot of melancholy embedded in it, but also sort of some dim, sun-spackled kind of optimism coming through it.
1: That's a good way to put it i you know I fell in love with this artist on uh, her twenty fifteen release on your own love again and uh, you know we're in Wisconsin now where people treat winter a little differently but in d c it can get dreary mm-hmm. uh, and and she always seems to release these like in the middle of winter uh, this came out a few months ago and they right. and and they they play thusly um, and you can put it on and the the wildest thing i've found with her music is that uh it when you if you're just in the background it sounds sort of melancholy right mm-hmm. but for some reason you feel so good when you listen to it and i haven't figured it out yet because uh, especially on this album you know there's there's songs on here about like breakups, uh, existential like <laughs> horror, uh, and it's it's all done in this style of English folk that you don't see a lot of today. Uh, there is, you know, in her press release, it says she she hints at uh, English folk. I was mm-hmm. like, no, this is this is straight up English folk. It's a little more than a hint, and uh, it, it's it's I can't think of too many artists that really have this type of talent where they can take what arguably should be just the biggest downer of of tunes and and an experience and by the end of it you're just sort of like wow i feel good now um
2: i do you you think it might be like commiseration or something yeah there's definitely some of that um i totally agree with the references to her being you know an uh you know an heir to the english folk tradition but the production on this record is just so interesting and challenging with the gauziness and the dreaminess mm-hmm. to it all. Cause if you're listening to a more proper, you know, Anglo Scots folk music artist, they tend to accentuate the clarity of this of the guitar lines or the clarity of the lyrics. And here right. they made a a specific effort, I think, to keep some of it a little bit murky to keep it dreamier. But then, yeah, it's obviously out of the folk music kind of ancestry and it's not, it's, I've heard it referred to as freak folk and I guess she has some, Yeah, yeah. I guess she has some parallels to some of the people in that scene, but it's not nearly as dissonant or as challenging no. as you might think of as a freak folk kind of musician. It's just, yeah, one,
1: one of those, one of those musicians I think you're probably referencing is Joanna Newsom.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly heard the Devender Bandharts and the people kind of with that ancestry. But I think of this as much more dreamlike. right? And so this is new music to me. I didn't really know Jessica Pratt before this album. I knew of her, but I hadn't listened to her closely. So you have had a couple of years to kind of get familiarized with her and her style, but it's kind of new to me. And it's a surprising kind of immersive record that feels a lot more substantial than uh, its twenty-seven minute long runtime. It's like- <laughs> right, right,
1: right. Yeah, and and you know, uh, I, I didn't, I wasn't aware you hadn't heard on your own. Love again. Uh, anybody listening should check that out. That is one of my favorite albums of all time. Hmm. Uh, so, so I am a little biased here, uh, and uh, and this is rapidly becoming. Um, getting up to that level it's funny uh, about the production. Um, this is actually the first album she's done in a recording studio. Uh. Everything else she's done, and um, they make a big deal about it, but uh, the, it, it, <laughs> they went a long way to make it sound the same <laughs> and, and, uh, and I think that's great. I think she had her uh, her style, her uh, ennui like dialed in. Uh, on the first album even just the self-titled Jessica Pratt in 2012 mm-hmm. and maybe this there were some things available to her in the studio that made it a little easier yeah but the results are sonically I think exactly the same and uh and like I hope if she's listening that doesn't like she's like no we worked really hard on this and 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 a lot of artists like do that sometimes but but to the listener it's exactly the same and that's fine that's actually perfect let's um Let's play a little track right now. Uh, I wanted to kick it off talking about this track, uh, As the World Turns. Mm-hmm. It's a companion piece to the opening track, which is uh, just called Opening Night. Um, and that's actually a reference to Gina Rowling's performance in the uh, John Cassavetes film. Ah. Uh, name. Uh, so, you know, there's a film with quality to this music, clearly. And uh, there's the direct connection. But the first time I heard this, all I can think about is Carly Simons Year surveyve and, oh, and it, and it, it, it goes no, nowhere in that direction but uh, from the jump it might be a little bit so here's a little bit of as the world turns
0: hey, no,
1: Yeah, you know, that gets your aforementioned like, gauziness. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of hiss in there. There's a lot of air. There's a lot of space. Like You're being sort of let into the room where
2: it happens. Right, yeah. So production-wise, um, I thought was, there was a lot of similarity to Nick Drake's Pink Moon. Um, oh, yeah. There's a lot of space. You, you hear her fingers on the guitar yeah. on pretty much everything, so it's mic'd really closely. And then... I can't tell what she's doing with her vocal microphones, but she's trying to, I think, accentuate the dreaminess of the vocal. And yeah, yeah, I definitely hear a 70s vibe there. The Carly Simon bit is an interesting comparison. I was actually thinking at some point, she reminds me a little bit of Laura Nairo of her solo records. Now, Laura Nairo had big hit songs when her songs were done by other people. But when she sang them herself, they were really dreamy. And there's something in that, jessica pratt vocal that reminds me a little bit of those laura nairo albums and it's hard to do anything else while this music is playing because if you're not going to give it the close attention that it deserves it kind of evaporates into nothingness yeah and you really have to you know keep your ears attuned to what she's doing because yeah it's very subtle there's a lot of quiet interplay of her guitar and other musical instruments and if you don't pay attention to it, it kind of just sort of dissipates into the air.
1: Well, I mean, it is. It could very clearly be like dinner party music, right? You you put this on, and like people, um, it, it's the type of stuff that you people don't have to pay attention to. But if you do, uh, the rewards are are mighty,
0: mm-hmm. I
1: think. Uh, and and it is, and that's always been a fascinating thing about her sound, um, where it is so almost not there so almost like, mm-hmm. am I supposed to be hearing this? Like, did they mean to put this out? Uh, and not in a bad way, not like it just sounds like shit. Um, you know, and and it it almost creates a style all her own, or at least a style, like you said, you referenced Laura Nero, um, that we haven't heard for years.
2: Yeah, there's something very um, anachronistic about the way this is recorded and the way she sings it. I gather it's a sound that comes naturally to her because she's been doing it like this since she started recording. But it sounds a little bit out of place, a little bit out of time compared to her contemporaries. I was actually, I'd be interested to know your kind of production thoughts. You're a a guitar player. I mean, she's playing a nylon guitar, a nylon string guitar. So it's got this kind of flutteriness to it. It doesn't have the, um, the propulsion that you expect from someone strumming uh, right, a, con- a regular guitar. How does the production sound and her guitar sound kind of accentuate the vibe that she's getting there?
1: I mean, I think when you when you deal with nylon or classical guitar, and uh, she's uh, been compared to some uh, Brazilian classical guitarists as well, even though th- she's not like um, she's not uh, she's not a shredder. Let's put it that way. No. Um, but, uh, we, you know, when you're using that, you use it for a very specific mood. It it, it becomes muted. It becomes softer. Hmm. Um, it, it, and the difference really is between um, sort of metal and plastic, right? Yeah. If you bang on a piece of metal, um, it is harsher. It is, and that's what, like, electric guitars are built on. They're, they're magnets grabbing that metal of the string, converting it into a sound you hear. But, um, you know. Uh, very famously like David Gilmour, all those great guitar solos like on, I uh, wish you were here and stuff. That's a nylon string guitar. Um, and, it, and it's meant to be, uh, even though nylon is, is a man-made creation. I think it, it, Connects you more to the earth a little bit mm. or you know into the natural world a little bit. it just sounds like what it should sound like, and it depends also more on on the, at that point the body of the guitar like uh-huh. so the, the body has the body has to resonate more because you can pick up like slides on the strings. Um, and, you know, Eddie Van Halen famously like tapped strings, you know, that works on a metal thing that doesn't work that well on nylon strings. So you really need that that reverberation, that that warmth that comes out of the wood uh, of those guitars. They're generally smaller. They're generally um, for that for that reason. Um, and uh, you instead of putting a pickup in it, you generally, like you said, close mic it. You know, you have you. You can be sitting on a stool. You have one mic pointing at the soundboard, and then one mic in the singer's face, and and there you have a you, you have a recording. Mm-hmm. I think that's a lot of what she done. What she's done um with this, and uh, and it's uh, again I I don't hear the instrumentation is so sparse, but that aspect of it is so key to her sound, and I don't hear a lot of people doing that uh, these days. And and I think that's kind of brave.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and I guess if this is her first record produced in a proper studio, she probably yeah. had some resources that she didn't have earlier, but she is very spare about what other instruments get added in. You'll hear some yeah. flute and some harp and some other instrumentation kind of pop in and then sort of disappear pretty quickly like... She wanted to have the impression of that musical instrument there, but not have it take away right. from her core sound.
1: Right. Because the core sound is that guitar in her voice.
2: mm mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That, that's absolutely right. Um, I want to get to another track now. You, you liked
2: uh, Hear My Love, correct? Right. So the opening bit of Hear My Love, it kept nagging at me, and I couldn't figure out why that was. But it actually reminds me a lot of the Drifter's song on Broadway. They say the neon lights are bright on Broadway. Yeah, yeah. The opening bit, it just kept nagging at me like, I feel like I know this l- melody line. And it, it, it took me about four or five listens before I thought where it might have come from. I don't think she's consciously paying homage to it, but it's just reminiscent of it. And it's got that same yeah. kind of dreamily, somewhat optimistic vibe. Also, the name Hear My Love, it reminds me of the Marvin Gaye uh, record, Hear My Dear. Um, And I don't think that she's got a lot of uh, kinship to old R&B. But but I think there's something something, uh, philosophically or psychically similar in uh, the yearning tone of Hear My Love, which kind of calls back some of the romantic uh, dreaminess, the romantic reveries that you used to get in pop music and soul music of the some decades yeah. past. Yeah, well, let's play a little bit of that and come back and talk about that because I, I definitely have some thoughts about her place in all this. So mm-hmm. here's a little
1: bit of here, my love.
0: One, really hard. Been my long, been my long. Try to keep my word it safe the way
1: Yeah, I uh that song like everything else in this album is pretty fantastic. You know, you were you were just talking about uh her uh relation to people like Marvin Gay, um to people um like this on Broadway Stone. And and I think she falls into we mentioned freak folk. Yeah. Um one person, if you look that up, uh is not necessarily mentioned in there um is Cass McCombs. Yeah, and you just talked about his record a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and and I think what we're seeing is a lot of these people come into their own that are have woven themselves into a new American fabric. Um and they're and they're pulling whether consciously, although I, I tend to think it is conscious, because uh, you know, we have this whole like repository of and history of great music and great songwriting. And uh, we got away from it for a long time uh, with with a lot of indie rock, which is not to say that there's not some great indie rock that was made. But, you know, the focus on on actual songwriting has been uh, lacking in the uh, in the past few years. Like I I just recently saw um, The Flat Five Hmm. uh, from Chicago here in Milwaukee. And I think it was amazing about that is they have one album, right? And they're all written um, by Chris Liggins, Scott Liggins' brother, Scott is in the band. Um, but then the rest of the show, because obviously they can't do a like, two-hour-plus show, the rest of the show is all these weird uh, covers of songs you might not want to have heard before, and you understand that the focus of the song, that the song has to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the song has to be there, and then you build up around it, and it just so happens that the flat five are remarkable performers and they can turn anything into gold pretty much. And I think Jessica Pratt is sort of doing the same thing, but not directly covering it. Right. So I think maybe, you know, she's like, Hey, I have all this to work with. And uh, on Broadway is, is, uh, I mean, it's burning her brains. You hear (laughs) it, you heard it and you're like, well, uh, it sounds like that. And, um, but her and Cass McCombs are, are able to reference this stuff um, because there's a, confidence I think they've gained where they're like, we're part of it now.
2: Yeah. They're not just heirs to a tradition. They're part of that right. tradition now.
1: Right. Right.
2: And, and I don't know
1: if that's, uh, and it's something we're going to be exploring, I think on, on this season, if that's um, just because they were, they've been doing it for a long time or, or if it's something else, or if it's something like a, a real uh, sort of scholarly Adventure for them, you know, and then they dug in and, and found it. I mean, McComb's, uh connection to the dead is, is what we talked about. And that uh, that's immediate and that that immediately like uh, sort of supercharges like his journey into that, um, because we know we know how connected they were to everything, literally everything. Um, but yeah, so Pratt, I think, is a part of this. I think she is. Uh, I mean, people are watching her, but I think she is the artist to watch is going to be one of the, one of the greats. Um, uh, You know, you mentioned it was 27 minutes long.
2: (laughs) Um, Is that enough of this for you? You know, uh, this, you can literally listen to this record twice through and not realize it sort of just carries you forward without necessarily a lot of uh, attention on your part. And one of the songs is only a minute and a half long piano instrumental. So there's, yeah, it's, It's brief. It seems more like a languid daydream at times than a musical product. Um, But at the same time, you know, it's kind of cleansing. Uh, You know, you're kind of immersed in it for a little while, then you kind of poke your head back above water and you kind of blink a few times and you, you know, go about your day. Um, Yeah, the briefness, the brevity of the record, uh, the seemingly insubstantial tone that you sometimes get from the limpid production, everything like that. I think it, it serves a purpose artistically that this is not a record that is going to pound you over the head and say, here I am, listen to me. It's a record that you have to sort of want to fall into a little bit. And yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm not as familiar with Pratt's previous work. I certainly haven't seen her in concert, but I imagine that a concert with Jessica Pratt is more like a, a, a <laughs> communal, um, a communal right. daydream than a performance. Yeah.
1: Lighted candles on the table, everybody like in a lotus
2: position, just sort of like, okay. See, I don't know if I, I don't know if you're, you're being cynical if that actually is what I'm her not, concerts are like no no
1: no i know and that would be uh a thing i i sadly have not s- seen her either mm-hmm. and i'm worried that it, i'm worried this might turn into a cowboy junkie situation oh uh, yeah so one, one of my favorite bands that i've never seen although i think i'm seeing them i think i'm seeing them soon but neither here nor there she uh she also tours with uh somebody who has a, a similar sort of reputation as being this sort of um connected or or new type of thing and uh I won't get into my thoughts on on him specifically but Riley Walker yeah and i think uh at least on the album two albums ago um green grass something uh i i think it was a good pairing because i think he was exploring a lot of the same english folk and uh, use of guitar uh that she's doing just it was, it was a much different vibe mm-hmm. but uh but you know going forward maybe not so much but i know they just toured together um and so and i think that's further evidence for that this is a thing that's that's it's been it's building people yeah. are becoming interested in there's an audience
2: Yeah, and and, you know, a number of years back where there was kind of a renewed critical attention on the freak folk movement, and there were a lot of reissues of albums from the 60s, and then their sort of modern emulators, I think it was a little buzzy. I don't know how many people actually got into that scene. I don't know how organic it was or how much it was critically driven, but that was when Joanna Newsom started her Hmm. records. That was when some of these other people started getting a little notoriety, but... I'm actually curious just how much audience there is for this. It seems like it it cuts across a couple different swaths of the listening public. There are people who are kind of diehard folkies who are going to listen to this because they listen to folk-inspired music. There are people who are kind of like Mm -hmm. new weird America folks who, you know, maybe came out of the dead scene but liked that kind of cosmic Americana kind of thing. Yeah, Uh, Yeah. They might like that. And then there's indie folks who like I think a little more sedate kind of contemplative music. And I think all those genres probably overlap when you're at a Jessica Pratt audience. Yeah. Because I mean, I listen to more folk, you know, true folk music than I think you do. And I go to, see, yeah, absolutely. I go to see folk bands sometimes. And this record is obviously indebted to folk traditions, but it's certainly not a pure folk record by any means. It just has, you know, some, common philosophical roots and some common musical ancestry but you know she's singing kind of amorphous songs they don't have the narrative drive that traditional anglo-scots uh folk singing had those are mostly narrative songs in some way or another and it's really hard to get a concrete narrative out of a jessica pratt lyric it tends tends to be a little more dreamlike a little more fragmentary (laughs) Yeah, uh, yeah. But I bet a lot of people are going into that for the feels, for the vibe. They get it. Yes, yeah. Uh w- would you would you be comfortable with calling this Wes Anderson core? <laughs> I haven't actually watched a Wes Anderson movie in a little while. Um yeah. Um I can imagine there's some people who kind of gravitate toward a hipster kind of thing and it probably has some probably has some overlap i don't even know what wes anderson cory is anymore because i still remember uh, Ru- <laughs> rushmore and it started off with the creation right
1: rushmore uh, and the uh the royal tenenbaums exactly
2: yeah um, um no i'm not sure what what this qualifies as clearly some people are excited by it it got a really great review in pitchfork it's gotten a lot yeah. of critical attention i don't know if npr has talked about this record yet i think they referenced it Briefly, but I'm sure it's an all songs considered kind of core or whatever that is. Um yeah. <laughs> Bobcore. Bobcore. <laughs> uh yeah, and I am sure that whatever she's playing in DC, you'll find her you'll find Bob up in the audience somewhere taking pictures. Uh yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, that's a hundred percent chance. But you know, I don't know. It's it just seems like it's part of a tradition that has deep enough roots and broad enough audience that that people will gravitate toward it even though it's by no means in your face music. It's so, uh, it's so sedate that it could always become almost become in the background, but it really does merit the careful kind of listening that, that you should pay attention to it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so pay attention to it people. It's a, it's a great, it's a great album. It is. Um, uh, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm, I did not know that you had not, you weren't familiar with her stuff so i'm glad you're you're introduced to her now i was aware of but just not really knowledgeable right of her. right 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 um but it is uh it is as her last album and as i would expect uh, any other album she puts out one of my favorite releases so far this year thanks for hanging out michael I'm gonna take a quick break and uh, come back and finish up the show Fred's Quiet Signs is available everywhere you can buy fine records. I bought mine at Rushmore in Milwaukee, great little record store. But I'm sure you got a, a great little record store wherever you're listening from. Uh, that is it for the episode. If you like what you heard, subscribe to us in iTunes. Leave us a rating or message there. We are also available on Stitcher, Mixcloud, uh, Google Play, and Spotify. We are out there everywhere. And Chunky Glasses Productions. So we're at www.chunkyglasses.com. Go there and see all these episodes. See all our live coverage. And uh, and get hip to our other podcast that we have going right now, Dead to Me. Uh, we're going to be back in a few short days. Talk to you about X-Hex, I believe. They have a new album coming out. And then looking forward a little bit, we got uh, a touch with a friend about Mastodon's Crack the Sky at 10 years. We're going to be talking about Pink Floyd's A Division Bell, a divisive album for all you Pink Floyd fans. And uh, and a whole lot more. Getting into the cool season when all the good records are coming out. So looking forward to that. Uh So stay safe out there, kids. We'll be back in a few short days. Talk to you soon.